But it's so funny because like you talk to any CRO and no matter what, if, even if they're using ours, I guarantee they still have their own little side spreadsheet. It's just this like crazy thing that they everybody still has just to do this little, maybe if I do it this way, it looks different. Never trust a sales leader who doesn't know how to export data out of Salesforce and analyze it. <laughs> it's like, it's counterintuitive as CEO. If your sales leader cannot do that, they might as well be completely blind in how they're operating the business. Like, because I know the tools aren't gonna do it. Nope. Welcome to Sass and Scotch. I'm TK, founder at Unstoppable. On this podcast, I talk about the two things I love the most, SaaS businesses and Lagavulin Scotch. On today's episode, we have Pat Rogers joining us, co-founder and CEO of Canopy. We'll be digging into his founder story and the incredible work he's doing at the intersection of SaaS and sales, which is something that pretty much every listener here is going to care about. Pat, welcome to the show. TK, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So if you were to explain to grandma what Canopy does, which by the way, I think I might have to start changing up the question because enough founders will be prepared for this question as we get <laughs> episodes out. But if you were, if you had to explain to grandma during Thanksgiving what Canopy does, what do you say? What do you guys do? Yeah, so I think if we're chatting with grandma, we've got in sales, there are all these puzzle pieces that have been created by all the tools we're using, all the signals we can get and the sales stack only continues to grow. Candy puts all those puzzle pieces together to actually tell the story of what's happening today and to allow folks to actually see that picture clearly, as opposed to all the fragments that live separate and disparate. That's awesome. So when it comes to sales tech, revenue tech, MarTech, first of all, what a crazy space, like the, <laughs> like the number of companies that, that are in it. What I found interesting as I was looking at your background is you're not like a tech nerd that was like, I'm going to solve things for sales. You literally were a VP of sales. You carried the bag. And then you decide after you were successful in that for years, I saw you were then like, Hey, I'm going to go fix this. So I want to talk about canopy, but before we yeah. do that, tell me about that transition. How'd you come up with the idea? How'd you decide you're going to do this? What's like the founding story like? Yeah, absolutely. The The thing that always stuck with me, I am definitely not the technical side of our business. My, my co-founder, Adam, is. But what always stuck out was I had the opportunity to go to a business school that really hammered Excel into our brains. And so for me as a sales leader, whenever I would try to figure out, hey, what's working, what's not working, I wasn't able to do that in Salesforce. I think everybody feels that and knows that. So you pull it out and you start crunching the numbers. And yeah. every time you crunch the numbers, you spend Saturday, Sunday doing it. By the time the next week is over, all that data has changed. We always found the answers there, but they're always out of date. And so you're That's always true. playing catch up. And so it was that challenge. And then I've lived that. And then at LearnCore, we were going into the enablement world and we were selling technology to help train salespeople to get better at whatever the goal was of our clients. And we're dealing with Fortune 500 and they have these huge, big budgets. They just spent a couple million on a sales you know, strategy, whatever it is. I'm like, so what's your benchmark and where do you want to be? 
and it's jaws drop. What do you mean by that? And I'm like, you're investing a million dollars and you don't know what you're going to improve or how to measure that. And so it's that combination of why are we still in Excel? We have more data than ever before. And yet no one knows how to answer these questions and we're just all guessing. And so that was ultimately what came to be. And it's funny, you mentioned like the crazy sales tech stack. It's a super crowded space, but that's also why we exist because everybody's building all of these things on top. How do you actually connect all of this data and make sense of it, especially for the frontline sales manager that's two years into the job, let alone two years into real life? What do we do there? And that's ultimately what we wanted to solve with Canopy. I, I totally get that. Two thoughts come to mind. One thing I've privately believed always is never trust a sales leader who doesn't know how to export data out of Salesforce and analyze it. <laughs> it's like, it's counterintuitive, but if your sales leader, like as CEO, if your sales leader cannot do that, they might as well be completely blind in how they're operating the business. Like, because I know the tools aren't going to do it. Yep, absolutely. It's so funny because like you talk to any CRO and no matter what, if, even if they're using ours, I guarantee they still have their own little side spreadsheet. It's just this like, crazy thing that they, everybody still has just to do this little, maybe if I do it this way, it looks different. And, and so it's always there, but that doesn't help the rest of the organization achieve the goals that we need to. And, and that's the big gap that we've got to solve. Yeah. The second thing that comes to mind is that ritual you just described. With Unstoppable, we sell a coaching program for founders. And so we have a sales team and we have a sales process. And literally last week, I did exactly what you described. I exported the data out of yep. HubSpot and Calendly, put it into a pivot table just to understand our win rates. And I know that data is already going to be stale a, a month from now yep. because we're continuously tweaking our sales process and making sure everyone gets the best experience. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the exercise of like, all right, where can I improve? And how do we keep that up to date? And then identify if we didn't improve or did we not? And, and that's the, the challenge that we all face and we waste so much time on it that we could be spending with clients or we could be spending with our reps actually improving those factors. As you were getting into this, you knew very well because you probably got sold to on every tool, every AI sales rev tech thing. For you, as you are thinking about the product and Canopy and how it comes together, what was like the one metric you wish that every sales leader and every CEO is looking at that Canopy delivers on? Yeah, that's a great question. So the primary one that was like my baby as we were designing it is our win-loss model. And so the win-loss model is- That's the analysis I was doing. That was literally the analysis I was doing. Yeah, exactly doing. And so what we've done is we split out and say, hey, here's what deals look like when we're winning. And here's what deals look like when we're losing. And it's yeah. this many days, it's this many activities. This is our conversion rate. This is our win rate. And it should be constantly updated. And the most important factor that we brought to Canopy is that any analysis that I can do at the org level, I can drill down to a team or down to an individual seller. Because yep. those behaviors are not going to change unless you identify at an individual level where their drop-off point is, where their deals get stuck because it'll be different for every one of these people. And that was the other kind of one size fits all that just drove me nuts. And that's the piece that if we can look at how somebody moves the deal forward, then I know what stage to get involved in and what stages not to care about. Yeah. And that's really, win-loss just tells you everything now. It's so interesting. You mentioned that the analysis I was doing, we learned that 
if you are pre-revenue, pre-product, our win rate is absolutely 0%, even though lots of people apply. If you, and I didn't think this would be true, but if you are bootstrapped, I would have thought our win rate would have been low because they're ca- strapped for cash. But the bootstrap founders that do apply, our win rates were like 70% because by the time they apply, they're like making money and they're like, look, whatever, just take my money. I want to grow faster. This is awesome. Yeah. And yeah, right. yeah the win rate for pre-seed funded founders, especially if they raised the round recently, was actually surprisingly low. You would think they'd yeah. be like, I want to sell, but they're like, right after they raise the pre-seed, they're like, I got this. I know everything. I'm good. I'm like, why are you on this call? Seed <laughs> yeah. founders are awesome because they've screwed up enough and they're like, we need help. So it was like super fascinating when we did the win-loss analysis. It was so fascinating. Let me ask you. Let's take that lean in. Where should I be leaning in right now? And what's, especially with everything that's happened over the last nine months, what industries are working? What's moving fast enough? Where can we still create pipeline? Like all of this can be answered by breaking down different win-loss models. I I think in the early days, that's one of the big things that I learned. You got to focus on what moves. There's very little convincing that's going on. You got to throw a bunch, like just find the part that's moving and go double down on that and and then figure it out from there. Yeah, absolutely. Because no matter what, like we all, especially at this stage, just need revenue and proof so that we can then iterate and continue to drive from there. And so anything that's going to be stale, okay, talk to me in six months, you just got to ignore. You just got to go for it. So you got into this and you were building it out and you had your favorite one. Yep. And fast forward with Canopy today, I want to talk about what stage you're at, what you guys are doing. But right before that, what I want to talk about is, were there any surprises? Did you have your favorite like model and it turned out that wasn't the thing the market cared about? Or was it exactly the thing the market cared about? Did you get humbled or were you like, I was, I'm a genius, I was right along? How yeah, so one thing I should call out is we actually uh, started in a studio. So we started out of the High Alpha studio, which is the old exact target guys that that sold the Salesforce and started yeah. in Indianapolis where we're based. And so we were always talking about what is that MVP that we believe will be differentiated and deliver. And like our biggest goal is to deliver the answers that leaders at every level, frontline up to CRO need to be proactive because our biggest challenge in sales is that we're always reactive. We look in the rear view mirror, QBRs are just the worst thing in the world. And so how do we get ahead of those things? And so we're like, all we got to do is just deliver those answers. And so the first version was actually a almost a Twitter feed of, Hey, here are deals that are moving slower. Here's a rep that's trending off. Here's somebody that's not ramping quick enough. And the first like few meetings were just like, okay, that's interesting, but prove it to me. And that prove it to me was like, Oh crap. We made the, we built the machine, but people don't trust the machine and which we should have known like revenue leaders are, are both are, are very much skeptical of, of many things. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, we had to change that a little bit. Same theme, same idea, but build out the proof. Here's the data behind it. Here's the deals that make this up. Here's why we believe this to be true and really lean in a little bit more on that proof. And so that was probably one of the, the, the biggest aha moments as we went down this path. That's awesome. I can totally see that. I think that's one of the big challenges with MarTech and RevTech and us like AI being the next thing. It's not enough to have a prediction. You actually have to explain why you have that prediction and trace that. And that's just not how AI works right now. Like AI is give me a bunch of data and I'll tell you something and you're going to have to trust me on it. Yeah. And that kind of opening up the black box was one of the biggest things that we then focused on. And so 
we, we realized that, hey, our differentiator could actually be explaining our math and, and breaking it down and using natural language generation to say, hey, here is why all these factors lead to this outcome. And that's probably been one of the, the, the greatest revelations. But until you get into it, you really don't know what, what that challenge is going to be. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, and I, we don't go into specific numbers on this podcast because that's not important. I, I already filter for that for listeners. Yeah. One thing I've started creating principles around the podcast. I'm like, we don't need theatrics. We just need to filter and everyone needs to trust that we're all in the same Shawshank crawl and we can learn from each other. Yeah. So I already know you guys are in a great stage. Tell me a little bit around what's top of mind around the business. Because when I look at you guys, Here's my honest take. I'm like, I didn't think there would be a business here. And there clearly is given there's gong, there's people at AI, there's Clary and yep. there's Salesforce buying Tableau. Right. Like, right. holy shit, man, this is insane. And yet here you are. Yep. So uh, tell me more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it comes back to that idea. We entered a crowded space because it's a crowded space and it ultimately <laughs> There is, you know, opportunities there to say everybody wants the best solution for this one thing. But what that ends up meaning, if you think of like just a general normal tech stack, my sales manager is going to go to Gong. They're going to go to Outreach. They're going to go to Salesforce. And then maybe if they do have a Clary, which is somebody that we you know, have seen as a leader in our space initially. They're hitting every single one of those to get a single answer about a single rep. If you then expand upon that about you know, 20 deals per rep, like there's just not enough time to do all that. And so what we've seen is how do we bring all of this together? And most importantly, for that kind of commercial upper SMB echelon. And that's really where we've seen it because you get to a point where let's say I've got three managers, we can no longer sit around a whiteboard. Everything's changing every day. And how do we actually get a hold of where we're going? How do we understand that? And especially it's been a rough 12 months for everybody, I'd say, yeah. but for revenue leaders, the spotlight on what happened to your pipeline, what are you actually forecasting and, and what's working and what's not, those questions are coming fast and furious from every board member, and it's not going to stop anytime soon. And so that reliance on what can we actually do with our data, I think is multiplying and growing and people are realizing that the gaps in Salesforce, great platform, victim of its own success. It is now a database and it's a disparate database. And so we've got to bring all these things together and be able to leverage it. And we have so much data that people are like, what do we do with it all? And yeah. so you see segment being a huge success, trade.io being a huge success. They're all solving that problem of how do we bring it together and actually connect all these endpoints. Yeah. I think that's so true. It go continues to show, this is something I've learned from building out Unstoppable and being having the privilege of interacting with so many SaaS founders, the number of verticals and segments that you have where you can take a good idea and you can say, but we're for this vertical or we're for this segment and how much of a business you can build just by adding those two words totally. is incredible in SaaS. It's totally incredible. Absolutely. When you think about it, so you know, Tableau, fantastic platform, but you're going to need three or four business analysts that only work in Tableau to go build out all of the data points that you need to actually answer questions for a revenue leader. And then the revenue leader is going to say, well, did you think about this? And they're going to go back and two weeks later, bring you another answer. 
And so how do we use all the power that's under that hood of data analysis, but ask the right questions in a revenue centric way? And that opens up so many areas for us to really help businesses grow and identify where they can grow. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, whether you're a CEO or you're particularly if you're the sales leader, there's really two questions. One is, am I going to hit my number? Yeah. (laughs) And the second is in the beginning of every month or quarter, you're like, how am I going to hit my number? Those are the two golden questions. I will give you any amount of money if you can go solve those and give me, help me sleep in peace at night or something like that. Oh yeah. We always joke, like when we talk to our sellers and even some of our closer clients, like this is the stuff that people get fired about. And it's true. You know, and so how do we solve for that to make sure that we can prevent it and we can help companies actually get to that forecast? So you're now CEO. And how do you think about as a founder CEO who came from being the sales leader? Let's talk a little bit about that because the relationship between a founder CEO and their VP of sales is special. It's probably the best word for it. (laughs) You have been on both sides in one shape or form. Let's talk about that. Like now they're on our side. Right, right. Can you tell us a little bit around how to make sense of that relationship? What's the big lesson you give to founders as they're navigating this path? Yeah, absolutely. I don't have my own VP of sales yet. So I I, feeling the friction on this side yet. I, I haven't, but I will say to uh, all the VPs of sales out there listening, give your CEO a little more credit. (laughs) Um, I know I should have. I think that the biggest thing is at the end of the day, we're all trying to get to a revenue number, but there are certain things that you can lean into. And there are certain things that you aren't able to lean into at certain points for whatever number of variables. And so I think that balance of Am I hiring an engineer? Am I hiring another AE? Are we going to dump into marketing? And oh, by the way, here's your runway. And here is the opportunities of where we need to be for the next funding round. And there are just so many more variables that you're trying to kind of balance on the CEO side, where when I've been the VP of sales, it's like, all right, I got one target. I got one thing to focus on. And so I think that the the piece of advice that I got from one of our um, investors is almost bring some of that VP of sales mentality back to yourself as the CEO, because you have perfect information as the CEO where everything is going wrong, where everything is going right all the time. And so sometimes you just got to put those blinders on and look at what's the job to be done here and make sure that you're putting on the right hat for the environment you're working on. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is just know when to put the blinders on and, and move forward. What does that mean to you to put the blinders on? Is that saying that nothing else matters than revenue or is it like, tell me a little bit, let's double click on that for just a second. I want to make sure I understand that. Yeah, absolutely. For instance, I love this space. I love sales data. I love being able to use it. There is so much more that I want to do with our platform that we're not at yet, that we will get there. And so if you're going in and selling and you're like, hey, but we're also going to have this and we're also going to have this, it doesn't really matter. The, the future doesn't matter. It's what you've got today to validate and make sure that you're building the right things and really driving that home. And so I think when I say that, it's as the sales leader, I'm telling my reps, I don't care about the product roadmap. We sell what we've got. And that's how you continue to make progress and that will unlock the rest of it. And so I think that's the piece that I I try to focus in on for our team is we have a great product and it's solving a lot of pain points. Sure, there's way more stuff that we want to do. What can we focus on right now 
that's going to help us unlock that next gate, hire that next engineer, get to that next funding round, because that's what matters today is taking those incremental steps. That's, I think, like, that's super powerful advice. It resonates with me because I think you learn a CEO that revenue solves all problems. Mm -hmm. It truly does. You can then go get more R&D. When someone's paying you, they're going to give you, they're going to ask for things that actually matter versus what they pretend to think matters. And so embracing that and looking at it as earning the right to go do everything else is super important. Yep. One of the common themes, and you mentioned you listened to some of the episodes, and the show has been emerging as distribution trumps everything. Like yep. it's so consistent with every founder we're talking to. Having your customers dictate your product roadmap actually is a better, more insured way of doing things versus what you think is going to be valuable. So I think those are really powerful. And one of the things I'll add to this for the listeners, because I get passionate about sales also, is my relationship with my CRO changed. So we had our CRO at Tout App. His name was Frank Swain, amazing guy. Dude only wore three-piece suits, like to work. <laughs> and the rest of the company was like under 30. Like it was so interesting. And when I first learned what a great CRO looks like was when I started working with Frank Swain, because he would not just give me, am I going to hit the number or the pipeline or some stats? He would give me a low, a commit, and an upside every time. Yep. yep. And you're nodding because you like you probably know this, and maybe it's standard. I don't know. I didn't know it was my first time being CEO. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like we can have a real conversation about it. He's like, Yeah, I commit to this number. If yep. a bunch of crazy things go wrong, this will be the lowest we'll do. We're idiots. We should all be fired if we do below that. And by the way, there's some stuff we're pulling on that could get us to this upside. And by the way, I need you to get on this plane. Right, and, yeah. and I love that. That was amazing. And I wish that more. Revenue leaders had that level of engagement and founders need to ask for that level of engagement. Yeah, it, it is interesting because I think there there are, when we talk with, with companies, there, there's the out of the box that comes with Salesforce and whether or not you're using those or are they automated. Then you've got the, this person clearly came from IBM. This person clearly came from Salesforce. Like you have all these naming conventions. It usually comes down to three buckets. And yeah. we define them this way. And so I think my, my biggest point of advice for, for anybody that's trying to get into that to, to start having those conversations is just make sure you define those buckets super clearly and then have everybody aligned to those. And you can have really honest conversations and really make sure that where you're going um, and track it versus, oh, it means this for this rep. And it means, it's got to be clearly defined. And as long as, you know, red, green, yellow, it doesn't matter. Just make sure you define them and you'll be in good shape. Yeah. It's really powerful. For me, it elevated the conversation. And I think like more founders should learn to do that. You know, what the big focus of this show is to interview founders that are actively doing the Shawshank crawl as you are, as I am, as everyone listening is. And so what's the one piece of advice, especially now, as you're learning to be CEO, you're probably also wearing the hat of VP of sales and you're going to be hiring a VP of sales and you're scaling and What's the one piece of advice you'd give to other founders that you found helpful as they're navigating this Shawshank crawl to the next stage of growth? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is don't do it alone and don't keep it all to yourself. This is a a tough enough job just in normal times. (laughs) So I'd say that the, there are, there is so much stuff that you feel or you're trying to understand or uncover or decide what to do lean on a co-founder, lean on an employee, lean on an advisor, 
but make sure that you're not doing it alone because it can get super lonely and you got to find people that, you know, can help you, you know, really get through that because not, none of us are building a company by ourselves and, and it can feel that way. So make sure that you're bringing, you're bringing folks in to help you along the way. That's such good advice. I, I can attest to it. There were moments in my Tout app journey. So I, I was a solo founder. I didn't have a co-founder. There were moments in my Tout journey. It was, I was so, I was surrounded by people, but I was so alone. Like yeah. I had plenty of best friends. I had a significant other, I had family that loved me, but it's not until you have another founder and sometimes another founder that doesn't have skin in the game that you can really commiserate to and be open with. So it can't be a board member or an investor, like you, where you can be like, oh my God, we're fucked. I think it's over. And just being <laughs> able to say that, even though it's not, but you feel that way, it just makes a huge difference. And totally. it's so, it's such good advice. And I hope like all you guys embrace that because that really, whether it's creating a mastermind, it's whether it's joining a group of other CEOs, whether it's getting a coach or whatever it may be, it makes a huge difference. I totally agree. Yeah. And, and all those crazy thoughts in your head, just get them out to somebody because yeah. we all have them. Like, just let it out. Let it out. Yeah, totally. Pat, this was so awesome. I feel like we could talk forever given our passion for sales and SaaS. I really appreciate you showing up today, taking some time out of your busy day as you're scaling your company, sharing your knowledge. Where can, I, I want to ask you two things to close. One, who is the perfect fit company for Canopy? And where can they learn more uh, about what you guys are doing? Yeah, absolutely. We look at companies that have three or more sales managers that are trying to scale and build their business and want more accuracy and repeatability. Software is you know, lately has been the focus due to, to all of our economic issues. And so that's a, a big focus for us. Salesforce and HubSpot are two CRMs that we're primarily integrated with. And you can find us at canopy.io. Awesome. Thank you for joining. I really appreciate it. If you liked this episode, please let us know by tweeting out this episode and mentioning us. There's a click to tweet link in the episode description. There's also links to Pat's LinkedIn profile and Canopy's website down below as well that you can follow. And also remember, everyone needs a strategy for their life and their business. When you are with us, yours is going to be unstoppable. I'm TK and I'll see you in the next episode. Hey, I have one last thing for you. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're a SaaS founder. Chances are you may also like Scotch, but that's a different story. Now, here's the thing. As 2021 approaches, you're likely thinking about your strategy to grow in 2021 for your SaaS business. I use this time and I use January to really plot out my strategy to grow. And over the 15 years of being in an operating position of SaaS businesses, I learned a few tricks on how to really create a strategy to win in the new year. This is why I'm hosting a strategic planning workshop. It's January 12th and 13th, and I'm inviting you to join. To learn more about the workshop, where I will teach you step-by-step -step on how to properly create a strategic plan to grow and to win and to dominate in 2021 for your SaaS business, go to tkcater.com slash workshop. In there, you'll get all the details, including some early bird pricing that we have in place. So go to tkcater.com slash workshop and join us January 12th and 13th. And we do have some early bird pricing that will expire well before that time. So go take advantage of that. Just go to tkcater.com slash workshop and I'll see you in there.